and uh, my guest this week is Tom Ellard. Uh, Tom's uh, probably most known for his work with the music group uh, Severed Heads um, over the last, say, 35, 36 years, um, as well as his own um, work uh, under the most recent album is Rhine. Um, and Severed Heads has kind of covered a wide spectrum of uh, audio, video interfaces and stuff, including um, a pretty well-established internet presence in the early days of the web in the mid-90s. Um, thank you, Tom, for taking the time out of your schedule to chat with me about hey, your hey. music. Hey, go. Um, now, I guess we'll kind of start out with like a little generic thing because um, I was looking and you were about 17 uh, when you your first when you're starting with um, the the music severed heads and the the previous band which name I'm forgetting right now mr. and mrs. smoking mr. and mrs. no smoking no sign it was supposed to be um, the least rock and roll name that we could come up with uh, and I was 16 uh, Richard was about 18, I think, at that point. Um, but I turned 17 in the middle of, of, of all of that. So, yeah, around about that. Uh, high school, basically. Now, what kind of stuff were you listening to at the time? Oh, well, well 1977 to 78 was uh, an enormously uh, rich and uh, fast-moving um, period. So, you know, like 76 was where the industrial music um, scene was happening. 77, you're starting to get into the, the post-punk or the cold wave thing. And 78 is, is where you're, you're starting to get the very, very early days of, of what I, I guess is dance music, although that wasn't really what we called it back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was also a lot of, of uh, rock bands happening at the time who were inventing a lot of the things that people do now, the whole kind of math rock, post-rock thing, a band like Gang of Four, for example. Yeah. Um, so there was an enormous amount to listen to, and it just happened to be at the right time for you know listening to music and not doing much else. Um, and so I, I listened to almost everything, basically. What kind of... Um materials were you working with for sound at the time like there was a lot of tape loops like tape splicing and stuff well uh, i mean the, the these things were the, the 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 sort of stuff that you could find at the time mm-hmm. uh you would walk into a hock shop and you would find a tape recorder you would find some very old uh organ or something so it's not like we chose very particular obscure equipment that just really was the the standard stuff of the time and so if you were a young person uh, who had very little money, you could go into a hock shop, get a tape recorder, and start working with that. Um, so when we started hearing people in the, the 50s and 60s who'd been doing a lot of, of uh, tape edit music, it was kind of like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's good. Um, that's what we do because that's what you can do, really. Mm. Um, how getting kind of more involved in the music... Um was like a big technological shift as far as kind of really having to teach yourself um bringing on new tools new devices new instruments um and interesting about i'm really interested about that how kind of a fairly young guy uh from 17 to really 
from like 79 to 83, 17 to, what was that, 21, really mm. huge jump uh, musically and kind of what's gone into that. Oh, well, the stuff was there. I mean, the, most of the gear we had was old and secondhand. Um, so the, the actual keyboards and that were, were 70s keyboards. They weren't um, anything spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only kind of, I think, the thing that is different was that I had a home computer in 1977, um, which was the old Radio Shack, uh, Tandy Radio Shack TRS-80. No, no, it was it, it was it was the first one you could spy over the counter, oh, and, okay. and very very underpowered, uh, very clunky. But it meant that having a computer around was 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 I think the main point of difference. But a lot of bands would be dumping equipment, and people would have home home organs and things like that. Um, and so it wasn't like new things came onto the market, and we we picked up on that. It was more on the level of oh. Um, I now have a couple of keyboards. What do they sound like together? And and you know, oh, a tape recorder. Um, you can get multi-track tape recorders. You can have more than one thing playing at once. What what can we do with that? Um, and so there was a lot. Of, I mean, even back then, people think about oh, there's a lot of music to refer back to in in 2015. There's an awful lot of music to refer back to at that time as well. It was all the 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 1970s had had everything from funk to punk to disco to avant-garde. There was plenty of stuff to to try out, and the scene in England was was a very had been a very vibrant scene. Uh, you know the the industrial bands had, had had been there for a while, and so there was also a very strong do-it-yourself um, ethic at the time. So it was just simply a matter of sitting down and practicing and, and listening and, and self-education, really. Were you able to get connected with other folks making similar music at the time, uh, like uh, internationally as well not, as locally? Not, not internationally, no. I mean, there was a, a lot of Australian bands. Um, you know, SBK was one, Laughing Hands was another. Uh, there were Tis, Tis, Tis. There was, there was a whole lot of things happening here. And at the time, Australia was... Uh, much more isolated than it is now. Um, you would read about things uh, in magazines that were delivered sea mail, and so you would hear about things three months after they'd happened. Uh, so we would make our own things. That was actually a benefit in a way, and there were a lot of bands that you could go and, you know, we'd see them and they'd see us and we'd work together and that, and that was fine. So there was a, a distinct sound, um, but we were always kind of watching overseas and trying to work out what people were doing in, in the, quote, real world, unquote. <laughs> um, earlier, before we started, you were mentioning um, the uh, Final On Demand's doing uh, box set uh, looking at the early Australia scene. So is this a lot of stuff mm. you're talking about? Yeah. Um, kind of yeah. your contemporaries? Um, yeah. That sort, of, that sort of set music is thought of as being unique by some people, whether it is or not, I don't know. But it, it, it is different enough that there have been books and collections and stuff done. Um, because we were an outpost, we were way over the other side of the planet and, and we had to work it out for ourselves to a great extent. Mm-hmm. And so when a few of us actually made it overseas, it was seen as being somehow distinctive or new or exciting in that way. So how did you get connected with uh, European labels and North American labels? What, you mean now or back then? Back then. 
oh hell, we 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 weren't we weren't connected with them. We existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is a a time in 1983 when uh, the English, as they they often do, find something to make flavour of the week, and they made Australia the flavour of the week. Uh, so you've got all these English record company guys coming down and enjoying the sunshine um, and collecting bands, Australian bands. And there was one guy who was making a compilation album um, on a label called Inc. And he really liked what we were doing and said he would like to put out our music in, in, in England. And we said, yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, the period from 77 to 83 was like completely isolated from all of that. Um, then when we had a, a record out in England, it was all it was all on. You know, it was like wherever you wanted to go, you, you you're done. I mean, you know, the Canadians basically picked up on us because we were in England. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Australians picked up us on us because we were in England. Uh, yeah. Commonwealth. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's interesting, and that kind of it, it's an interesting thing in, in lots of different communities where. Mm. Um, you may not get recognized locally, but if someone else pays attention to you, all of a sudden your local community will pay attention. Oh to yeah, you. absolutely. And 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 what I what I find is um, it works wherever you go. If you're American, then it's great to be in England. If you're English, it's great to be in America. If, if you're Australian, you go anywhere. It'd be, probably be good for you. You know, anywhere but here. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it when I the way I got involved with the with the um, the Canadian label was that the um, they were they had a fellow Mark Jowett who was the A and R guy for for Network was over in England trying to sell bands to the label we were on in England. That was Inc. Yeah. So 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 Inc. was you know Felicia, uh, pardon me, um, Network comes to Inc. trying to sell this band they had called Skinny Puppy, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, uh, Ink just goes, oh, no, I don't like the sound of that. That's a bit goth. What else you got? And they had a band called Mauve, and they said, yeah, okay, we'll put that out. Um, and so the deal was they put out Mauve, and it would, would put us out. And that's how it was done. Um, now, around that time, that's um, since the accident uh, came out, and uh, mm. which got re-released uh, just last year. Mm. Um, and for a lot of folks that's kind of an important album and I, and I feel like it's more important now than then and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong and tell uh-huh. me I'm full of shit um, but it's kind of being accessed in a different way yeah uh, I, 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 I won't pretend to actually understand every aspect of the of the revival culture that's going on at the moment mm-hmm. um, uh, since the accident was actually very much uh, surprised a lot of people when it came out uh, in England um, main thing is that we didn't actually follow any uh, discernible genre we just did whatever we did mm-hmm. and, and so you'd have something which was noisy and then something which was pop music uh, and we really, we really didn't give a shit, you know. I, I, I have always just done whatever I wanted, and if I don't like it, then what's the point of doing it? So, so yeah, that's it. That's the only rule. <laughs> and so people were kind of like, oh, this is a, this is a band that we're finding it really hard to categorize. They sound like they're this, and they sound like they're that, but we can't figure them out. And, and, and that was what it was like back then. Now it's kind of on the level of. Um, I think people are trying to use it as a map or something. They're trying to figure out where this thing came from or went to or, 
you know, uh, you got a band, you got a band like say Front Two Four Two. It's got a very clear lineage, mm-hmm. you know. Um, whereas we're not, we're not actually that clear lineage. We don't, we don't have that. We're kind of confused. Yeah, that album I find especially interesting because, uh, as you said, like it's got these different sounds coming in, and for me, it also kind of plays a marker um, where you get more into simple melodies and um, kind of finding the musicalness in there. Uh, yeah. Because in in the in these like really rough, noisy, chunky sounds, you have these really beautiful simple melodies like kind of reminds me of like some of the craft work stuff where like you have these beats but you also have this like i can't even describe i'm not a good musicologist um but do you kind of get what i'm saying uh well you know um the melodies were always there yeah uh even if you went back to mr and mrs no smoking sign um we would try to it was melodic even even an album like ear bitten's got melodic stuff on it um it just got better at it <laughs> uh, but we were never, we never, ever, ever were actually. I mean, the name Severed Heads was a joke, right? Yeah. It was specifically made to fool people, um, and and what we're basically doing is just whatever we actually felt the the the, the actual need for. You know, the, you you feel a need, you feel like you need to feed yourself somehow, and that's that's all it ever has been. Um, so since the accident was just simply a point where the, the melodic side of it, we just got able to do it. But I think um, uh, an album like 80s Cheesecake also has a lot of melodies on it as well. Now, there's a couple of tracks I want to talk about on that yeah. album specifically. Um, one is, um, yeah, I've got it written down, da, 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 uh, Million Angels, mm. um, which kind of really stands out to me, really sounding a lot different, um, even than stuff I'm hearing contemporary Brainiously, yeah, um, from that time, and I'm just interested if there's like process stuff you remember or. Oh, it's anything. very simple. I mean, the whole thing started um, with the uh, a bunch of records and 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 basically uh, making loops out of the records and then playing along with the melody that the the tape loops would create and then trying to like piece together something um that was inspired by this piece of found music Mm -hmm. uh so the music comes out of the 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 loop i mean sometimes you, you you write a song and then you find a, a piece of uh a tape and it, it just fits really nicely with what you've done uh, other times you would have a tape that you'd have sitting around the place and you would let it spin and then you basically tap along with it and, and and kind of like try to fulfill whatever holes it's 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 presenting to you mm-hmm. now now angels was like that um, it was also something where we we, we kind of some of these tracks were just made by one person uh, doing it and the others joining in later. That was one of the ones where I think you know we we all kind of worked together and 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 uh, I suppose jammed the thing. Mm-hmm. It, uh, the theory around it kind of reminds me of um, a bit of the Burroughs cut up idea where you kind of destructure something and something else comes out of it. Yeah, but but see that that's that's a sort of uh, that, that's a, a kind of theory way of thinking about it. And the problem with that is that there's words in between you and the thing. Yeah. 
the problem with theory is that it takes what is and turns it into a description of what is. And, and, uh, and we never did that. There was never it. It was always just the visceral, um, the sound here is making this from itself, not, not from any theory. Uh, and so Burroughs and all of that is, has never been of any interest to us at all. Mm -hmm. um, the other one, um, probably speaking of visceral, is the gashing of Old May West, mm -hmm. uh, which is really rough and violent. You have longer versions mm -hmm. of that track, and I'm wondering what was it about that particular track? Um, because it is such like a repetitive, banging, pounding... Well, no, it, it, okay, I mean, that was done. I, I, I do remember that. I, I got a bunch of cassettes, and I made a loop, um, and I'd only had an 8-track recorder for a little while, so I'm, I'm kind of playing with what you could do with the 8-track. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm playing bits of, of these Hindi pop songs onto the, the, the loop, and, you know, you oh, that bit works, that bit doesn't, that bit works, yes, that bit works. Okay, fine. Now I've got an eight-track loop going around and around and around. Uh, let's start recording what I'm doing with it. Let's lift the faders up and down. The the whole process took about, um, oh, I don't know, an hour or so. It just was. It just it just it came and it was done. It just kind of clicked. It clicked. Well, it's, it, it's, it was just a, a um, I have this, I have this system here i'm putting this stuff together um and yes all of this stuff is here and i needed 45 minutes of music for a stage play oh. so i've been given i've been given the 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 uh soundtrack of a stage play to work out and there's one bit where a character comes out and and we needed a piece of music that that uh, follows his movements around the stage and so this is why i did it i needed something which would generate me give me 45 minutes of, 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 of music and, and yeah, there it was, boom, fine. Um, and in the, the kind of, since the accident kind of way of thinking was that we took everything that we had and we jammed it together. We, the album is a collision of all of the things that we, we had. Now, um, around that time, was that when, or was it before that when Stephen Jones got involved? Um, with his video synthesizer. Well, he's around. I mean, the first time we played live, he's one of the people who came to the gig. He, he was a, a fella around town kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, late, much later on, when was it, 80, 82 or 83? I can't remember exactly. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm doing a demo of my video synthesizer over at a TV station. And would you be the band? And oh, we just, yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, rocked in there, found that, that some of the wiring that, that we used was a lot like the wiring that, 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 that he used um, and, and shot this thing. And, um, you know, it was pretty good. He, he wasn't really a member at that stage. He was just somebody that we'd collaborate with. Uh, later on, he, he decided to be a member. <laughs> um, tell me a bit about what that effect was like for folks that haven't seen it or don't really have a kind of understanding of this con contextualizing Oh, what you mean, video synthesis? Yeah. Well, it's 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 um, you 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 take a a, a a sound waveform and you spread it over the the a television screen. So I mean, a TV screen refreshes um, at twenty five frames a second. It's in the civilized world. In other parts of the world, it's thirty frames a second. Uh, so here in Australia, it's twenty five frames a second. And and if you put a, a sound signal into it. 
it gets spread over the screen by that, that repeated scanning. Mm -hmm. And if you organize the sound well, then you can make shapes and then you can take the brightness in those shapes and you can color them in, in, in various ways. You can say that the, the, the louder it is, the more red it is, or the, the calmer it is, the more blue it is. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of, of uh, time and effort, you can begin to predict what kinds of images that you're going to get on the screen. It's very abstract and it's very much based around the, the whole um, television signal paradigm. Yeah. Um, so an analog video synthesizer is a, a kind of sine wave generator being run through a colorizer and then you can um, control the things by the volume and the frequencies of the sound that you put into it. Now, was this something that um, was used specifically for live or did you kind of use the ideas to affect the, um, the studio music you're making at the time? Uh, well, he was his his studio was not where we worked. Um, mm -hmm. So normally we would pick a piece of music, and uh, if we were going to work together, we'd we'd finish the music off, and then we'd rock over to his studio, uh, and then start playing around with the gear. So it's kind of like it, it would very often go from 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 sound to image. Um, but that was simply because of the difficulty of getting access to his his gear you know that it was being used for commercial purposes as well um but sometimes we'd see something on the screen and we we'd kind of do something sonically that went along with it it, it did it did talk backwards and forwards a bit but there was a certain constraint there now did you bring that effect live like yes on tour yes so in 1985 1986 uh, and I think, yeah, in 1990, we, we had video synthesis with us. Mm -hmm. um, then after that, I, I mean, Stephen was working with us up till 1991. Uh, and then he decided he wanted to do something which he could actually feed himself from. So he, he left again. Um, and then I, I basically had to take it on from that point. Um, so, yeah, he had his period. Now, how... Did the kind of extensive touring you did in 85, 86 um, kind of change your own approach um, or you and the other members of the band at that time um, towards music? Well, okay, we weren't, those guys didn't, weren't part of the band until much later. Uh, the band has had, I, I, I think it's about 15 members, mm -hmm. uh, some of whom are dead, uh, not all of them, but, you know, some of them still alive, some are dead. So there's lots of people churning through. Uh, so 1986 and so on, it was Stephen Jones, myself, and, and a variety of other people who would come in and help. Um, playing the tours, uh, to my mind, was an extremely destructive and um, disappointing thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the records we made after the tours, straight after the tours, would always be badly affected by them. And actually doing the live shows is always like a major compromise to, to, to what you actually had in mind. So if you don't mind something which is not as good as you hoped it would be over too many nights, you're incredibly uncomfortable, and the rest of the music you do after that is shit, then touring's a wonderful thing, really. Yeah. It was quite extensive, wasn't it, um, in Canada? 86, 86 was, yeah. 86 was quite long. 1990 was um, not quite as bad. Uh, but that was because everyone was getting into rap anyway, so, yeah. Um, 
how many shows do you think you done in, in 86? Oh, uh, the uh, 86 tour was 58. Oh, wow. How do you... And that's, I'm presuming, is a pretty huge jump from anything you've done previously. Yep, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was Canada, then Europe, then um, America. Uh, and actually, there was an Australian leg before that. So we, we played, for example, we played in a cinema four nights in a row uh, before traveling to Canada. And then it was all the way across from uh, the left to the right, and then over to Europe, and then Europe, all around Europe, and then back to America. And, and by the time we got to the end of it, um, I kind of uh, felt that maybe had uh, lost track of what we were on about mm-hmm. and what we were doing. But then again, the point is that, you know, you, you, you do need to change, and you, you cannot be the same thing forever. So maybe it was important to lose your track maybe that was what needed to happen at that point you know and is that how you kind of developed more of a softer sound at that no point? no no i, I see I, I i i don't think that there's a softer sound mm-hmm. there's a variety of things that we've always done we've yeah. always done like little nursery rhyme i i mean i don't know if you've heard the record clifford darling no i haven't Okay, well, Clifford Darling is a compendium of all the shit we had lying around in 1985, right? Yeah. And on that, you'll hear a whole bunch of stuff, which is everything from just, you know, horrible, horrible noise to, like, um, little pop songs. Um, it, 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 we were never, it's never actually been that we've gone from being uh, a, a industrial noise band yeah. to being a pop band. It's just... Uh, it's always been, what is it that's going to make me happy? Yeah. What's going to make my soul feel? And and I think it got maybe a bit extreme when we were doing uh, an electronic country and western album, but, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> What's yeah. the, which one's that? Well, cu- cuisine. Oh, okay. Cuisine was, uh, was you know, I've been, we'd been up and down the U.S. Uh, in 1990, and... Um, I was riding around in, in a lot of American towns and, and I was beginning, beginning to understand why country and western sounds like that. It's, it's the appropriate folk music for the environment. Yeah. And I thought, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, what can I do with that? Where does that go? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in how, um, how that process happens, of how you take in um, these kind of your world and or whoever a musician's world and kind of bring it into into that final product um, uh, I, I, I cannot I can't answer for other people yeah. uh, but I, I, I tend to describe it as being the birds put it there yeah okay uh, that's that's a phrase that, that I, I, I'm trying to I'm, I'm try, I, I think it's the least pretentious way that you can answer the question I don't know how it works i i just know when something's right and and how did it get there the birds put it there mm-hmm. and, and i will often wake up one day and know exactly what to do or i'll be working on something and 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 the birds will put the idea there and then i'll know what to do it's it that's it yeah. I, I cannot analyze it any, any better <laughs> than that. and so, uh, so so ryan for example the, the ryan album which was the last one um, mm-hmm. that was put there by birds. They they just said it is now time to do this. Do you um, 
when you're releasing stuff under your own name, do you have mm -hmm. a different approach than, say, with previous Severed Head stuff, or is it just kind of mm. two different names and just trying to mm. dislocate? Uh, Severed Head has baggage. Yeah. I mean, people expect something from that. I mean, the thing about Severed Heads is it, it's had everything from a, a top 20 single to, um, you know, the whole kind of noise thing. It, it, it's got a whole history of stuff. Um, and at one point, it became something to hide behind. Yeah. And then it became very stinky and rancid and horrible. And, and I really didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Um, and it took it out of the back and shot it. And, and, but I, I still exist. Yeah. Okay. I can't take myself out the back and shoot me. I'd like to, but I can't. Whereas the band is something that you could actually put down. Uh, and that's the difference between a band name and a, a, and a human name. Yeah. Then what's it been like kind of revisiting uh, all this work? Because you just had a remastered a couple of the albums that come out last year, and you have more albums coming out this year, and then you're touring mm -hmm. um, in the fall yeah. under the Severed Heads. This is a real dilemma. I, I, I think that anyone who... who Okay, there's two ways you can go. Mm -hmm. The first way is you can refuse to engage with it completely. You can say, no, I'm never going back there. And that's what a band like Wire does. When Wire plays live, they do not play yeah. anything old. Okay? Yeah. And that I've seen people, you know, heavily disappointed by that. Uh, and then I've seen bands that continue to tour again and again the same stuff over and over and over again and, and, and the place that happens this happens mostly is Europe in, in Europe a European festival the bands will play the same first album over and over and over again and this is also very strongly this happens in art a lot I, I know a lot of very successful fine artists who are able to uh, travel the world endlessly doing the same thing as they did 10 years ago yeah and, and, and so on one side, you become this kind of ghoul that, that will never move on. It's like we'll a traveling never... cover band. At yeah, some point. of yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, or a band that, you know, somebody was once successful in an exhibition in Los Angeles, and now they're touring that same exhibition all around the world, okay, mm -hmm. the, the festival circuit. Now, that sounds to me like death. On the other side, being a band that refuses to play your old stuff I've actually seen the, the hurt and disappointment that, that's in the audience. And, and I can't reconcile these two sides. I, I, I basically try to avoid the, the, the evil on both sides of that equation. Um, but then I must say that after a while I become very disgusted by, by, by the, the whole old thing. Uh, we did we did a couple of festival shows here in, in 2010, 2011, 2012, where we would play some of the old music, and but we would do it completely from scratch, rebuild the whole thing. The whole thing was made from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And the comment I, I you got from the reviewers was, I really like the fact that they played the old songs, but they ruined them by not making them sound exactly the way they did. Yeah. When they, and, and you, you're never going to win. It's interesting because like, I saw Kraftwerk, I've seen them a couple yeah. of times in the last... Oh, Ten years, <laughs> but they they don't they they you can tell they're using new technology. They're not sitting on their 
they had been a fake from beginning to end. In 1981, they came and they played in Australia, and I know one of the people who was working on the stage, and the whole thing was on tape, right? It was fake <laughs> from beginning to end, okay? Okay. And, and, the, and, and the whole set was all prefabricated, all folded down. Then they come back in, in, in whenever, what was it, 19, whatever the fuck it was, not 2003 or whenever, I can't even remember, and they came along and it was all on, it was all uh, on, um, synchronized with, with, with videotape. And mm-hmm. They've been a fake forever. Done, their live album, their double live album's a big fake. Um, and now they're doing Las Vegas shows, Okay. Uh, you know, fuck them. <laughs> I, I, they're a good example of a band that I don't want to be. Yeah. Okay. They they've got a lot of a lot of really good things that they could be doing, but you know, the moment you get to play at the Tate Museum or whatever the hell it is, it you you just fucked. And 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 you know that. God bless them. I hope they're wealthy. Well, most of the members have run away now it's yeah, just well one it's just ralph yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a it's a it's a vegas show yeah that's it it's a vegas show and 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 fuck that um i touched on something there i'm sorry <laughs> well i don't i'm yeah. but I'm, I'm giving you a yeah, yeah no, this, really, this answers the question yeah. of you know how do you play live how do you yeah. do this thing uh you know there are a certain number of things that are, are very disturbing and soul-destroying yeah well it, it and it, it is interesting because it's such a weird thing to navigate like mm. i know some folks like i've seen uh, dieter mobius play a couple of times and each time doing something completely different yeah um yeah. and it's also unfortunately been in like uh small bars and whatnot yeah um, because he's not doing a, a cluster tour yeah yeah that's exactly it and and so one of the things that Tom Ellard is doing, as opposed to Seven Heads, is you know, is is that I can, you know, I can play a small bar or something like that, and and then when I need to, I can turn on the Seven Heads thing and and you know, rack up a few more grand, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an interesting kind of disconnect. I mean, because it's also been thirty years since mm. a lot of that work has come out. Yeah. Um. And it is, it's neat for me. I was reading a lot of your kind of descriptions of your albums on your SoundCloud mm. um, and a lot of kind of introspection you have mm. on on that work. I'm interested in some of the more recent introspection, especially because you've been kind of rehauling the old stuff, uh, mm-hmm. remastering it and mm-hmm. reapproaching it. Well, it doesn't, it actually doesn't need that much remastering. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you very often find that it, it's just a, 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 I mean, to remaster something means you listen to it very carefully and you say to yourself, something's missing. When I hear this in my head, I know that there's something that I expect to hear. Something's gone wrong. Something's missing. Very often it's, it's um, you know, some of the treble is gone because the tape is a copy of a copy or something like yeah. that. And you just put it back. You just put it back to where it was. That's it. There's no, there's no super fancy thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a, an album like uh, City Slab Horror, uh, I didn't need to remaster that at all. The, the, the main thing that happened with that one was that we recorded it on digital. Mm-hmm. 
and then they, 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 they couldn't cut a record from digital back then, so they copied it onto open reel tape, and then they cut the album from open reel tape. Uh, and, and so you lose an enormous amount when, when you do that. Um, and so we just actually were able to supply the original digital um, recording. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. And that makes an enormous difference right there. Like if someone compared the original pressing to the current pressing. Oh, my, the, the original pressing will sound like shit. Um, I, I, I know, and there have been, when the Americans or the, the Canadians would press something, very often they'd be working from an open reel copy of an open reel copy of the um, the digital master. Yeah. And, and, and you know you can do a thing where you can actually press an album, uh, and then you can load it back onto the computer and subtract the master from what the album does to it. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it vinyl sucks shit to start off with. Let's be quite honest here, but vinyl mixed with copies of copies of open reel tape is just the worst thing in the world. I mean, you know, bugger that. Um, 